The first mangrove species in Asia. We know for sure that one day the internet will run on 100% renewables. Welcome to the Blue Continent Podcast. I'm your host, Brennan Pertzer, International Research Coordinator for the Blue Continent Alliance, the Blue Continent Podcast, and your Blue Continent. What this program is about, this podcast, what makes it unique is, is finding people who have knowledge or expertise or have worked to address in a sustainable way a lot of global development issues in a way that I don't think is being talked about by too many other people. My guest today is Mr. Rene Post, who I encountered on my work creating an episode of my YouTube series, Your Blue Continent, with the Worldview Foundation based in Burma. This is one of the most inspiring carbon projects in the world today, specifically working with replanting mangrove forests and using the funding from selling the carbon to plant even more mangroves. Rene is the sales and marketing manager for this project for the Worldview Foundation. And also, you've been a tech innovator in your life, too. You've, uh, you've done some interesting projects in the sphere of digital currencies and uh, sound reduction as an environmental factor wow, in the past. You really have done your research. Maybe. Oh, I always do my research. Uh, and, but especially uh, an interesting one. And, and I'd, of course, we want to focus on the mm. Worldview Project. But you've done some cool things. Uh, can you tell a little bit about the Green Web Foundation and what, and what that's done? Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And in a way that somehow my work for the Green Web Foundation somehow led me to start working for Worldview as well. In 2006 in the Netherlands, I was working in the hosting sector and uh, quality of internet connection business. I had an IT company that sold reports to, uh, to ISPs on the quality of their connections. And uh, when we saw that the first data centers popped up in the Netherlands running on renewable energy, 2005, 2006, and we thought, okay, that's interesting for people to know if they have a website, uh, if they run on green energy, if they could run on green energy, what could they do? I mean, could they ask someone, could they buy something? So around that idea, I started a company together with a few other people uh, called CleanBits. Uh, and then to be, and we sold carbon credits basically and tree planting in the Netherlands, we've planted not much, something like 11 hectares, but anyway, I mean, it was not a big company. And um, uh, while we did so, I mean, say your website, Brennan, I mean, if you want to know it is hosted green, we need to, and, and if, if not, we might uh, want to sell you something. Um, we first need to yeah. check and that check basically that consisted of we had to make a database of green hosters and green data centers with their technical uh, parameters so we could recognize your site where it was hosted where it was running and basically that check over time became much more important than the commercial activity uh, we had millions of, of checks against that system and more and more hosters oh. Uh, asked if they could be in that system and it was an open system it still is today uh, so in 2010 we decided to change to a foundation and rename it to the Green Bear Foundation as we thought like okay this is really the core of it people need to, to see if they are green hosted or not and then they can ask their hoster like why not what can you do is there something I can do so that was the that was the idea 
So you allowed people to apply their own pressure to toward their host hosting a company and and make them to force them to make a more responsible change. Well, yeah, absolutely. From the and that's all from the vision. I mean, we know for sure that one day the internet will run on 100% renewables because it's inevitable, right? I mean, all the dirty stuff will run out one day. And there is no rationale behind postponing that point. Can you tell me a bit uh, about your role with Worldview Foundation? Uh, absolutely. Well, I visited a project for the first time in 2015 through a mutual Swedish friend when I was living in Sweden. Uh, I saw from the video that you had your own experiences in uh, Scandinavia. But uh, we're referencing a, a video I made um, for my Your Blue Continent series that uh, it featured the the incredible project out in Myanmar uh, of the planting of the mangroves uh, to the restoring the mangrove forest, which has so many beneficial qualities to that whole project. So that's how I got involved with Worldview and, and they put me in touch with you, Renee. So uh, please, uh, I didn't mean to step on that, but I wanted to make sure everybody knows if they'd like to see more about this project, they can check out my video Absolutely. on YouTube. In 2015, they were just starting with uh, scaling up the mangrove reforestation project uh, and that, they were discussing certification etc but it was still far away and in 2018 it was really really close uh, the VCS certification so I joined in October because by then I mean Worldview had always relied on grants and donations and while it is possible to do so of course it's a, it's a hard life <laughs> as, as many people yeah. know um, and uh, the whole idea was to turn this into a carbon credit business, not so much for the fact of a business, but as a way to self-propel the, the, the reforestation and exactly. do it on a larger scale. With the advent of uh, carbon credits and those sales, you can take the, uh, the money that's, that's received for the carbon credit and use it to reinvest in expanding the project, which also results in more carbon, uh, more carbon credit so that you can continue to yeah. plant this and try to bring this climate crisis under Absolutely. control, right? Yeah, for me personally, that's the only reason why I work for Worldview is that they use the money for more planting. Otherwise, it wouldn't be interesting. There would be just business payment for stuff you've done in the past and yeah. That's not something that's, uh, that's really exciting or needs my help. Uh, and you have a background in cryptos as well, right? And uh, I saw that you had uh, received a master's uh, from the University of Nicosia. Uh, I don't I expect that was online. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's completely online. I've never even been to Cyprus, so... Uh, <laughs> that, you're missing out, right? It's uh, one of my favorite countries in the world. Oh, I put it on my list. It, it's really wonderful. The culture is great. The weather's yeah. perfect. I recommend everybody go there. And they have like no virus either because it's an island. It's All a protective right. Well, during those times, I mean, even Amsterdam seems far away. So uh, <laughs> ask again a year from now. No, your background in cryptocurrency. Yeah. Well, basically, I was really interested. Uh, I, I recognized it for essential new development and very interesting tools, uh, especially hmm. um, regarding transparency uh, has been my main topic for everything I've done basically. I just needed to know more and I didn't have so much work around the time so I thought okay cool I'm going to start this. Uh, it, so mm -hmm. I've done some projects but it's not and I worked for a crypto investor for a while but it's not that I'm 
really into that domain. I just see it as another tool uh, that I like to have in my toolbox. And being nice. in the domain that I'm now with carbon credits, there are often overlaps, there are often new projects. Yeah, and the, 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 the master helps me a lot in saying like, okay, this is a nice idea, but you're missing a few points. Uh, so I don't have okay. to spend so much time <laughs> looking at these proposals actually. So uh, it's paying off. But, it's really nice to be able yeah. to identify when, when something is not worth, uh, or not at a place where it's ready for you to invest all that time. Absolutely, in. yeah. And that brings me back to the certification. I mean, many of these blockchain, blockchain projects uh, think like there's a problem with transparency and accountability. And there is, if you sell like unregistered carbon, I mean, I could sell it to you, to your neighbor, to my nephew, no problem, right? I mean, it's virtual, it's invisible. Uh, so you should never do that. I mean, if you wanna buy carbon credits, take something that is, that is verified and that an auditor goes to the project every year and looks over all the documentation, everything yeah. with the local communities, are all agreements being kept, then you can get a certain amount of carbon credits. I saw that you began actually working with Worldview in 2018, True. was it? And, and I think it was in late 2018 then that they, uh, they received their uh, approval from VCS and all Absolutely. of that. A verified carbon standard, mm -hmm. correct? And I think it was pr probably the first in Myanmar or in, in that part of Asia. Well, it? it was the first mangrove VCS in, uh, in, in Asia, but not the first VCS project. I mean, there were many forestry projects, okay. but not, not on mangroves. But as far as uh, for, Bor for Burma, was it their first then? I really don't know. Could be. Oh, okay. Uh, because yeah. because a lot of the developing countries they're they're very fertile grounds for developing carbon projects like this, but many of them that have uh, limited experience in that to create the uh, regulatory mm. system to to manage that can take a very very long time. For example, I was in uh, Congo and I was working with a, a foundation or, or a company actually it was a private sector mm. company that was really pioneering this. And they found that it took years and years and they had to do a lot of advocacy on their own behalf uh, to, uh, to help the government regulators build that level of institutional knowledge mm. so that they were able to oversee these kind of projects. Absolutely. So that, that was your experience like that? Did you have to do a lot of kind of work with the regulatory people within Myanmar? To, to get them to that level where they could fix this? Well, probably. I know we, we hired a good bunch of uh, ex-forest department people just for this purpose, so, so they could speak hmm. basically to the former colleagues on, on their own terms. And, and But I must uh, admit, Brennan, I'm, I'm very much um, aimed, uh, I'm very much uh, oriented towards the outside. So for me, I mean, we have our own VCS expert in Sri Lanka, Suraj. But for me, I mean, the work starts for me once the credits are on the table or almost on the table. And I do the contracting okay. with, uh, with the resellers in Europe okay. and the USA. So you didn't have to do that work oh, no, so no. much uh, no. yourself. No. I, I was so impressed with the team back in, in Myanmar. Mm -hmm. uh, Win Maung is one of the most knowledgeable people in that whole that whole world, uh, what a brilliant asset to have involved with the project. Absolutely, yeah. 
What's next for Worldview uh, to in your role? When we received the VCS certification by the end of 2018, we had no good idea what the value really was. And we thought, well, we might be able to sell them for $5, maybe even six. We had no idea. Uh, but once uh, uh, I started to reach out to resellers and we started to build a reseller network, uh, the price actually jumped uh, in 18 months from $5 to 15 euros uh, and we're completely sold out actually. Uh, I'm already talking about 2021, we have contracts up to 2022, um, so, uh, so that goes actually quite well. Uh, which is really good for the project. Uh, it's not that we don't have so much, but the price is quite good. It sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the the next stage is opening up more, doing more planting, Absolutely. Right? Creating more, more Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we're expanding. I mean, 2020 is a, is a relatively good year for us compared to 2019 or 2018, where things were very, very complicated, basically no money uh, and yeah, you have to borrow back and steal uh, for everything uh but uh, mm -hmm. that's that yeah. that stage has passed luckily and uh we get uh we've received a couple of investments for larger plots uh from korean companies we talk to french companies to uk-based yeah. companies uh, what what kind of companies typically are are the clients purchasing these carbons uh, who's doing it well um to be honest, we don't really know because basically we are a wholesaler. And I mean, of course, we could call around and try to find end customers, but it is much, much. So some of the resellers that we work with say, okay, we have a thousand customers already in our portfolio that we can present the credits to. And so it's much easier and faster to sign a contract with them. Uh, and they will resell it to their end customers. And uh, the reason we do so uh, is that it is true that you can get more money if you sell directly to an end, customers, end customer, but uh, carbon credits are not very easy to understand. Uh, you've probably noticed this yourself as well. There are always many, many questions around it. Some, pe sure. some people say it's a scam. Others says, no, no, it's a, it's a lifesaver. Uh, I mean, yeah. if you talk, my personal take is if you talk about certified credits, then it's not a scam. Everything is being accounted for. It's impossible to double sell or to sell carbon you've right. not already uh, mitigated. And that's the, that's the real advancement of having blockchain technology involved. Yeah. Well, uh, not really, because um, I rather, the, the thing is, I mean, you know the phrase from the technical world, so bullshit in is bullshit out. So you can have a very good instrument, but it all depends on who is inputting the information and that it's, uh, and that it's perfectly stored on the blockchain and timestamped. That is really one part of the equation. But the, the main question is who is putting in the information? Who is that person? Yeah. And if you're saying, yeah, but that's the auditor. Okay, cool. But then what is exactly the problem that you're trying to solve? Because we do already have full transparency here. I'm quite positive about blockchain, especially when it comes to payments, etc., and, and the, the, the limitless possibilities for financial innovation by countries, by tech services, etc. The, 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 there's a whole area to, uh, 
to the to di discover there but here i don't know in this domain i haven't seen the ultimate application like okay this is the problem we're going to solve because you said that the things are are quite good with the project right now and and now that this this funding mechanism is in place and things are getting better i'm contrasting that in my head with uh the dual situation of the virus and the um and and the recent over the last couple of years economic hurt in the country of myanmar and and knowing that you know some of that was a response an international response to uh to political crisis mm. there uh and the conflict um but i'm i'm wondering have you experienced or do you know if worldview has experienced additional pressure from the government to with this good revenue stream uh to find ways to put more of it back into burmese society uh, has that been uh, has that been a pressure you're aware of no not yet because what i said i mean the price is good but the volumes are still quite low um, I mean, yeah. it might change in the future, but the, the agreement we have with the forest department and, and, and the ministry is completely clear. I mean, we need to spend our part of the money on the community, community projects. Uh, so, yeah. um, so they're, they're happy with the way that the money is coming back into the community through the projects that have been established. And we talked about mm -hmm. some of that in my, uh, in my video Absolutely, as well, yeah. you get an opportunity to to see how uh, the communities are being supported by this project. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some other interesting projects throughout your career that you've worked with uh, prior to Worldview? Yeah, if you want. Airplane noise measurements I've been doing, if you want. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that one. Yeah, tell me about, oh, uh, right. about the, the problem that you're addressing or you were addressing with that. All right, good. Uh, well, I will keep it brief, but in it was in 2003 that a new runway opened uh, at Schiphol Airport in uh, Amsterdam uh, called the mm -hmm. Polderbaan. It's, pretty, it's uh, incomprehensible Dutch, but it's... Uh, uh, anyway, it was sold as the environmental friendly lane. And when it opened up November 1st, uh, 5 a.m. in the morning, people were flabbergasted. I mean, it had become the main lane. There was so much noise. Uh, basically 24 hours a day uh, there are some rules but they are so soft so officially there are no flights between 2 and 6 a.m but in practice there are because it's called the window the the something like the windows of the window of the night or something like that anyway they have these beautiful phrases but if you <laughs> if you live there uh, for some people don't care but others it was it was a nightmare a, a, a lot a large group of these people actually moved out of the area before because there was so much noise they moved to the north and then this one opened so you can imagine that there was a lot of public protest and there was a lot of uh will what was environmental about it i mean why did they call it that nothing it's marketing so <laughs> they 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 needed i think 800 million from the eu or something like that so you need a good phrase and that was it. I was working at the IT company and we had, we were doing quite well. We had some free time. So I, I gathered a few colleagues and I said, okay, let's uh, come up with a device that we can put outside and that monitors uh, airplane noise and filters out other noise. Mm -hmm. And we do it in clusters wow. uh, on, in urban areas. And so basically you can monitor, 
uh, you can you can uh, yeah, filter out noise from cars or other things and say okay these are airplanes and um, and exactly uh, show how much noise there is on the ground because I have a technical background but I I, I didn't do well on technical school and I dropped out actually <laughs> I saw that back in Rotterdam <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I thought, no, this is not going to be my life, programming. And then I started uh, studied psychology in uh, Leiden, and that was more my thing. So I'm interested in these things from a human perspective. Like, so, but what is the what? What do you experience? And for me, that is the truth. Uh, so, and we were able to show uh, that there was a lot of noise. But the thing is, the meters that we had, they were actually not so good. I mean, they were quite crappy. We bought them in Germany, like for two, 200 euros a piece. It was more amateuristic. But the fun thing is, it didn't matter at all. Because the official standpoint was, from the minister, that it is impossible to, to monitor airplane noise on the ground. And that was official Dutch policy. And it was so funny to see. So when we started to do it, people th said, but why is it impossible? I see an airplane, I look on the website, I see the noise level go up. I don't know yeah. about the numbers, but I see the color changing and, and it corresponds with my, uh, yeah. with my experience. Uh, yeah. So why is it impossible? And the fun thing was that we had no money, but within, I think, two months, the official policy changed in the Netherlands. We were on TV, we were on newspapers. Uh, did wow. crappy interviews, to be honest, and <laughs> I mean, everything was crappy, but it was enough to change the official Dutch uh, point of view. So that so it was really and a fun project what, to do. And what did they change? How did they bring the noise level down? Well, it didn't exactly bring the noise level down, but it made clear that there basically were uh, only paper rules. Uh, so one of the paper rules was that the airport should, the airport should have its own uh, noise uh, measurement equipment. And this project uh, made clear that they had it as the law required them to do. But in the law, they forgot to say, and you should turn them on. <laughs> okay, then. And so all these childish games, they were off the table. Uh, and so the airport was pressured to uh, to open up their own data stream as well. The, the, the government demanded that. So so it was a really fun project uh, to do. What is what's yeah. your next challenge professionally? Well, to be honest, uh, uh, it is a struggle not to become depressed if you look at the rate of deforestation and how much energy and time it takes to reforest. Uh, I read yesterday or the day before that i don't know who said it but like every six seconds a football field is disappearing uh and and i know how much time we have to spend in replanting like 200 hectares stuff like that and i don't know exactly how many football fields there are that are but i'm pretty sure that it has all <laughs> disappeared again the surplus after i finish my lunch right and uh, and so so that's one thing. I mean, to 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 keep on uh, believing in in that replanting can have 
can really make a dent in this in this business while the, the, the deforestation goes on at full speed. And I mean, that is something, I mean, I'm not religious, but that's something I could pray for. Please let this stop because right. I mean, that's the first thing we have to do. And then reforestation begins to make more sense. I mean, it's something we have to do anyway, and it makes sense, don't get me wrong. But you see, I mean, it's about the numbers as well. Are you looking for more ways to uh, to use your skills to reduce the amount of deforestation then? No, there's not much I can do there. But of course, what we do is uh, we will start conservation projects as well in Myanmar, uh, which is one way of uh, attacking the problem behind deforestation. Uh, so I mean, if you yeah. change the socio-economic uh, dynamics around the forests, uh, then right. it's less attractive or people no longer need to cut down trees just to make it to right. tomorrow. To, uh, to, to tomorrow right? That's another feature from the video as well. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I would like to just thank you so much for, for joining me and sharing your thoughts and your background and some of your story and talking about this incredible project that you're engaged with. Uh, super impressed with it and uh, i'd love to i'll look for every opportunity to uh to play a part and to support and tell people about the great work you're doing so thank you for that thank you and thank you for your great video i really i really enjoyed it good work i enjoyed putting it together and, and meeting everybody involved out there take care my friend all right thank you so much Bye. For today's episode, we have a huge thank you to my guest, Renee Post, and the Worldview Foundation, and all the crew out in Myanmar. In today's episode, you heard an instrumental cut from the Dutch band Golden Earrings, well-known song, Radar Love, Burmese artist, Razmam, some Cypriot folk music from Theodolus Bacanes, some Congolese music from Grand Calle, more Burmese folk music from Angwin, hip-hop artist Acid, and some Dutch jazz from Clouson Trio. And of course, our theme music, The Lone Ranger by Quantum Jump. Thanks everybody for listening to the Blue Continent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll subscribe and join us again. Tell others about us. This podcast is also available in a raw video format found on our Blue Continent Alliance Facebook page. If you'd like to see our mini documentaries from around the world, visit the Blue Continent YouTube page today. Thanks again for listening. Take care.